Welcome back to Saga Thing, where we're putting the sagas of the Icelanders on trial. I'm John. And I'm Andy. And we are hauling a saga before the jury today as we judge Kjalnasinga Saga, the saga of the settlers of Kjalanes. You sound so bored about it. Did I sound bored? You sound a little bit bored. No, I'm into it. I mean, I admit this is going to be a tough one to judge, but geez. No, I'm sorry if I sound bored. It's just because we're recording in the morning for once? We're not (laughs) quite uh, fully with it yet? That might be the thing. Start drinking coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I think we are going to be doing some negotiating this time out. I I think you Mm -hmm. you and I seem to see this saga somewhat differently, or at least that's the way it seemed. No, that's that's fair. I actually meant that it's hard to judge by our usual categories. Oh, yeah. Because Kjalnasinga Saga's strengths, I think, aren't necessarily in the areas we usually judge. Mm, that's true. I mean, we had to really work to find some things to nominate for awards this time. But I, I think I think it's still got a lot going for it. It's a strange story, but ultimately a rewarding one. If you're tuning into this podcast for the first time, you may well be wondering what the hell we're talking about. Uh, this is a podcast about the Icelandic sagas, and we alternate between talking about a saga and judging it. We already talked about Kjalnasinga Saga. For two entire episodes, for mm-hmm. over three hours altogether. I know, it's a sickness. <laughs> it is barely more than a Hrofenkel. <laughs> right. I don't think we finished everything we wanted to say either. No. Uh, but now's your chance. Let's, uh, let's get to work on this thing, huh? I'm, I'm picking up your pun there. That's right. Best Bloodshed. <laughs> Andy, it's time to gird our loins and wade into the bloodiest moments in this saga. I hope my loins are prepared. And, well, I have to say, this is a, this is not a saga overloaded with bloody moments. No. Yet, gird we must. So it's our task to choose from among a handful of options, although I do think there are a couple of good ones in the running. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andy, why don't you start us off? What do you got? Well, this is one of those sagas that gives us an extraordinary bit of bloodshed very early on. Um, mm. After being provoked by Thorgrim the Gothi and his son Thorstein, and then prodded by his foster mother Essia to act, <laughs> Bua spots Thorstein on his way to the temple at Hof early one morning. And the saga says that Thorstein entered the temple wearing linen clothes, suggesting, I think, that he's vulnerable to attack. Mm-hmm. And when Bua entered the temple, he found Thorstein laying face down before a statue of Thor. Now, and that suggests to me, by the way, that those linen clothes may also be uh, a religious garment. It's possible. He could have just gotten out of bed and is going to pray. Or that, or pajamas, sure. Yeah. Um, so as I recount this next part, I want you to remember that Bua is 12 years old at this point in the story, and Thorsten is 18. Yeah, but he's a big 12. <laughs> well, well, with his enemy deep in prayer, Bua creeps up behind Thorstein and then quickly grabs him with one arm under Thorstein's knees and another under his shoulders. Bua raises him up high like the ultimate warrior that he is <laughs> and then dashes him to the ground head first. Thorstein mm. hits the floor with such force that his head splits open and his brains, we're told, spill out across the floor. He died at once. As one does under those circumstances. It usually happens that way. Now, then, to add insult to injury, Bua carries him out of the temple and throws his lifeless body down near the wall before going back inside to burn the whole place down. Yep. It's a brutal scene. And uh, for me, the, the violence here, the, the descriptive nature of it, the graphic mm. nature of it, reminds me more of what we see in contemporary sagas than the typical kind of hacking of limbs and vivisections we see in uh, family sagas. <laughs> Yeah, any chance to say the word vivisection. Yes. Uh, all right. Well, I, I can't really compete with that one for viciousness or gore factor, mm. so I won't try. Uh, instead, I'll nominate uh, Colfin the Coalbiter's first fight against Orn oh, the Norwegian yeah. and his companion. Uh, Colfin, you'll remember, is on his way home from his uh, awkward attempts to woo Olaf the Fair <laughs> when he's ambushed by Orn and his friend. Colfin is armed only with a long stick, which he plays with as he walks. But he leaps into action, beating back the swords of both attackers until he finally knocks the second man unconscious. Somehow avoiding Orn's attacks, Colfin snatches up the other man's sword and shield and brings the fight to Orn. He suffers a nasty wound, but kills Orn with a sweep of his borrowed sword. Hmm. I mean, I know it's not going to win, but it's a pretty impressive move in mid-fight. Oh, yeah. Good on you, Colfin. Yeah, good stick work there. Yeah. So my second candidate is Bua's wrestling match with the Blaumather. Now, remember mm. that Bua had just returned uh, King Dolfri's game board to his foster son, Harold Fairhair. But Harold was still holding a grudge against Bua for burning down the temple back in Iceland. Mm. And hoping for some form of violent justice, King Harold tells Bua that he's going to have to wrestle his Blaumann. Now, like we said in the summary episode, the, the Blaumather is a fascinating subject. Yeah. 
He's described both as a troll and as a dark or black man in the saga, which opens up several possible paths for interpretation and leads us to questions about what exactly a troll is. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, we concluded that the Blaumather is a kind of cross between medieval Iceland's fascination with the supernatural and the curiosity of an isolated and somewhat homogenous people with ethnic difference. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot more to be said about the Blaumother, but we're going to we're going to let someone far more studied on the subject help with that. Um, there's okay. a great article on the subject of the Blaumother by Richard Cole mm-hmm. in Saga Book. It's called Racial Thinking in Old Norse Literature: The Case of the Blaumother, and I'm going to post a link with this episode for anyone who's interested. And I'll recommend again that if people are interested in the troll side of things to have a look at uh, Armand Jacobson's book, The Troll Inside You, Mm -hmm. uh, which just came out last year. Yes. Excellent. Yes. Um, All right. So when Bua looks at this troll, he says, that doesn't look like a man to me. It looks more like a troll. And when they Mm. release this Blaumother, it runs toward Bua howling. They clash and Bua quickly realizes that he's far weaker than his opponent. Fortunately, he's wearing a double layer of protective clothing. And after fighting for a long time, Bua finds himself being dragged over to a large stone. The Blaumother is growing tired, but continues mm-hmm. to press hard, snorting and grunting like a hog, frothing and foaming at the mouth. And Bua allows himself then to be backed up to this large stone. And when he feels it at his heels, he jumps backward all of a sudden over the stone, pulling the Blaumother mm-hmm. forward as hard as he could onto the stone so that its rib cage was pierced on a sharp point. Bua then presses down as hard as he can until the rib cage breaks apart and the Blaumother dies. Now that is a great feat of strength, if you ask me. Okay, it is, but it's also very familiar. Mm-hmm. Uh, that account is almost exactly what happened in Finboya's saga, down to a king proposing the unfair wrestling match and Finboya breaking the Blaumother over a stone. Yeah, Finboya's uh, favorite method of dispatching an enemy, I believe. He does it multiple times. Right, and uh, I do think that this is, you know, we're looking at something here that is so, something of a folk motif. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think you may have pointed out in the last summary episode that this wrestling match parallels Bua's fight with Yokel as well. Uh, right. We've got mismatched opponents, a lengthy, exhausting battle, and a dramatic death by stone to ribcage. No. <laughs> I want to believe that all of that is very intentional and literary, Uh, but uh, we'll Mm -hmm. save our thoughts on the literary merits of the saga for the rating section. Do you have uh, any more candidates or are we ready to give out uh, our prize here? Uh, I do have one more. Uh, It seems to be my fate this time to nominate plain old fights. (laughs) Well, nothing wrong with a plain old fight if it's interesting. Well, I'll do my best. Uh, my last nominee is Bua's final battle with Colfin. Uh-huh. Now, these guys have been after each other for years, with uh, Bua winning a duel against Colfin, and Colfin scoring what I would call a technical knockout, a TKO, when Bua couldn't leave his cave to face Colfin after being called out because he suddenly comes down with a migraine. Uh, now, in the rubber match, Bua kills six of Colfin's men before taking on the big coalbiter himself. Colfin has the upper hand early in the fight, badly wounding Bua's arms and legs and destroying his shield. But Bua fights his way back and ends the feud with a mighty horizontal blow that cuts Colfin in half at the waist. Mm. Now, Andy, any death that ends with your enemy in two equal-sized chunks is impressive enough for a nomination in my book. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, what do we think? I'm pretty sure I know how I'm voting, but is anything jumping out at you? You know, I think there are three good ones. I'm going to discount mm-hmm. your first candidate. Um <laughs> <laughs> I, I love Colfin getting chopped in half. I love mm-hmm. the Blaumother, and I and I really like Thorsten's brains on the floor. Yeah, I mean, I I I feel pretty strongly about this one. I mean, the uh, the dashing out of the brains and the burning down of the temple together as a sort of a single extended yeah. violent act is pretty impressive. Yeah, uh, there's a lot going on there. It's a, I think it's really interesting that it is this. This motif that almost has to evoke hagiography to the audience, mm. has to evoke saints' lives, and yet it's happening to a pagan in a pagan temple. Sure. Uh, it's, it's a really interesting and, I think, complicated use of a familiar image. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's my nominee, but I'm willing to be convinced if you want to make an argument. I'm not willing to convince you because I think I agree. It's a, it's a, <laughs> All right. It, it's, it's a loaded image, and it's also just a, a, a kind of a, an interesting one. So. There you go. All right. All right. Well, Bua, congratulations. Uh, Get to work cleaning that up. (laughs) You clean up that mess. Body Body count. count. For each saga, John and I like to keep a running tally of untimely deaths. Now, there are no fantastic battles with large numbers of casualties in this saga to help bolster the numbers, so... 
don't get your hopes up for an impressive body count. Yeah, it's always a, mist- uh, a disappointment when the saga author doesn't include a fake battle where he just claims hundreds of people die. <laughs> yeah, right. But it helps. It, it does help us. Yes. Uh, but on the bright side, this mm-hmm. author is pretty good about reporting the numbers. Yes. So wh- what did we come up with, John? Okay. Not a lot of controversy here. As you said, the author is very clear about the numbers involved in the fighting. And a lot of the deaths actually happen to individuals one at a time, mm-hmm. which makes our lives easier when it comes to counting. When we tally everything up, we end up with a respectable but not especially impressive score of 19. 19. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not a lot for a saga this length, but uh, we'll, we'll deal with it. And uh, with only 19 deaths, it's highly unlikely that Kjolnissinga Saga will have the numbers to unseat Greenlander Saga for the honor of highest body count density measurement. At 1.22 Hrofenkels, which is interestingly the same number of Hrofenkels as mm-hmm. Reftesly. As we said, this is like the sweet spot for these for the sagas, yeah. it seems, like about 1.2. Yeah. So we get a BCDM of 15.57 for Kjell Singa Saga. Yeah, 15.57 pales in comparison to the, what was it, 70.42 of oh, Greenland. Like you're guessing. Like you're uh, guessing. <laughs> I, may, I yeah, may have you looked have, it up. When you have two decimal uh, points, you're not guessing. No, I may have looked it up. Uh, although prepared. I really do think that Greenlander is an outlier. I mean, we need to figure mm-hmm. out the median or something for a comparison. Well, I mean, 15.57 is definitely below the median. I mean, it's not even close to the 52.46 that Ref the Sly managed to pull together, thanks to a, a bloody battle at the end with 50 right. deaths. <laughs> now, in fact, a, a BCDM of 15.57 puts Kjellnessinga Saga near the bottom of our group. Mm. Of all the sagas we've covered, only five have a lower BCDM. But You just like saying f- BCDM. I do. A 15 is actually better than the pathetic 3.23 of Bandamanasaga. Ah, Bandamanasaga. All right. So 19 and a 15.57. That's right. On to the next category. Nicknames. It's time for nicknames. But uh, frankly, John, I think we could just skip this section for Kjellnessinga Saga. No, 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 no. We can't do that. You know how much the nickname section means to me. Well, I mean, of course, I, I love it almost as much, but I can't remember a single nickname from this saga. <laughs> Boo with well, the I dog, mean, that's about it. There is a surprising dearth of nicknames for us to choose from here, but I did manage to round up a few. Oh, I figured you must have. All mm-hmm. right, what have we got? Well, as you say, there's a sad and scanty handful of nicknames to look into this time out. Uh, and a couple of them are for non-Icelanders we've met before, like Harold Fairhair. And I won't be covering him again just yet. We'll probably cover him again at some point over the course of the podcast. Uh, there's also Earl Einar of Orkney, who's famously known as Turf Einar. Uh, unfortunately, he's never actually called Turf Einar in this saga, which is interesting, but for very dull reasons. So I guess uh, we're not choosing him. No. Uh, essentially, <laughs> uh, that question of why he isn't called this leads to all sorts of things about nickname use and dissemination. But it's not something to go into right now. Uh, we'll save our conversation about Turfinar for a saga where he's actually named. Uh, so let's look at our actual candidates. First of all, we've got Olaf Koladotter, or Olaf the Fair. Uh, the nickname in the Icelandic is Fanna, uh, which means fair to behold, or good-looking. Uh, fair is a tricky name in saga translation, I think, because just like in English, there are several words that are synonymous with fair, depending mm-hmm. on what you're trying to get across. Right, so the fair in Harold Fairhair's name is fagra, with the connotation fine or noble or beautiful. In other words, it connotes uh, something finely crafted or admirable, right? good things for a king. Olaf's fair means more like promising or appealing or agreeable, right? good things for a marriageable young person. And as we've seen before, this is a standard nickname for a comely young woman. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, most of the uh, in the warrior poet sagas, almost all of them are someone the fair, Helga the fair, right? Right, like right, that. right. Uh, now you mentioned Bua the dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a tremendous amount to say here, except that this is the typical association of dogs with unclean or unholy things, right? And that's a uh, a pretty standard uh, connection that's made across, I would say, almost pan-European in the Middle Ages. Yeah. Uh, and so calling him the dog because of his refusal to make the appropriate sacrifices to Thor is just a way of identifying him as an unclean individual. Right. Uh, and it doesn't seem to be a nickname that sticks either. 
No, although it is used multiple times in the saga. It's always, mm. it's one of those moments when you see uh, enemies attempting to brand a person with a name. Right. right? We saw the same thing with uh, Nial Beardless, right? It was only his right. enemies who ever used that name. It never became a general cultural referent. Bua seems to be the same way. It's only his enemies who ever call him Bua the dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, it never sticks as a full name. Uh, but it is one of those moments when you see people negotiating a name and its meaning over the course of a saga. Um, Kettle Flatnose, whose actual name is Kettle Bjarnason. I can't remember whether we've covered him before. I looked Most through my notes. Most assuredly we did. I, I looked through my notes and I couldn't find it, but what the hell? It should be back uh, in Airbidge's saga. I the very agree, but first... I don't see it back there. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, Kettle's name is well known in the sagas. Uh, as we said during during the episode, his children are famous all over the north, with Al the Deep-Minded probably the most widely known. His name seems to refer to a congenital condition rather than to an injury. His, his nose is flat by nature, not through battle. Uh, I could go on for a while about why Kettle's a fascinating dude, but because he's not really in this saga at all, I'll save it for another time. He's only referenced. He never actually makes an appearance. Mm-hmm. Uh, for now, in terms of nicknames, I will note that there's an ongoing argument among historians as to whether or not Kettle Flatnose is the same person as Kettle Fiend, uh, who's a uh, Gaul Gael leader in Ireland in the 9th century. Uh, the Gaul Gaels were a mixed Norse-Irish group. And one of the arguments against the link is that Fiend means the white or the fair-skinned. Uh, it doesn't have any connection to Flatnose. It's not unheard of for a man to have two nicknames, so I'm not sure that's a strong argument against. But I'm always happy when nicknames turn out to be important. Yeah. Uh, and that brings us to Helgi Kettleson, uh, one of Kettle's children, a.k.a. Helgi Bjolin. Uh, the nickname Bjolin isn't a nickname in the traditional sense, at least as far as I can determine. It's an agnomen. It's another name by which a person is known. Uh, the name may be Scots in origin. There's actually a King Beolin in part of Scotland in the late 9th century. Unfortunately, that may not help us because it's likely that King Beolin or Obiolin is actually the son of Helgi Beolin. So hmm. this Helgi has a son back in Scotland who becomes a king, or at least that appears to be the case. They do have a cloudy connection to a clan descended from Irish kings and a, a subsequent clan, the Obeolins, uh, would go on to become the Earls of Ross by the 13th century. So it's possible that Bilin functioned as a kind of clan affiliation for a Scots-Norwegian family in Scotland. Uh, but it does suggest a kind of non-Icelandic Celtic affiliation for Helgi, which I think is fascinating because it might go a long way toward explaining his open-door policy toward Irish immigrants in Iceland. Sure, yeah. Uh, so I like that one. Uh, now, we also have Skipper Orn which is barely a nickname. Uh, it's a professional title that ends up appended to Orn's name. Right. Uh, it's worth noting that only the author ever calls Orn Skipper Orn. Uh, it's to but help actually, us that's remember. not uncommon in the sagas. Right? It's to What's help that? us remember what his, his job is. Right, right. Or, you know, why we should care. Yeah. Uh, but Orn gives me a chance to revisit one of my favorite Norse-English word borrowings, which is the cognate lexical doublet ship and skipper. Mm-hmm. The word entered English twice. First as a skip, which is where we get the word ship. Uh, like a lot of sk sounds, the SK in in uh, uh, the uh, International Phonetic Alphabet, uh, Anglo-Saxons pronounced that word sh uh, with a softer, palatized uh, sound. When Old Norse arrived in England a second time in the late first millennium, it brought the word skip again, but this time the word shifted to provide both skiff for a small ship and skipper for the person who piloted a ship. That makes me happy. I didn't realize we were going to get a history of the English language lesson. In Hell yeah. This is what we do. We are full oh. service. Uh, <laughs> All right. And a couple of a couple of last ones that are technicalities. Uh, Corpolf. Yes. Uh, this is not a nickname <laughs> since uh, being named after a Pokemon isn't technically a nickname. I don't think uh, he's named after a Pokemon. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, but after we pointed out how not odd this name is during the saga episodes, we heard from a listener, Igor Mulkin. Uh, whose name I may or may not be pronouncing correctly. Uh, Igor says, I've thought about that odd name Korpolf in the saga. In Swedish, Korp is the default word for raven. And as far as I know, this word is not widely used in Icelandic. It exists, but they usually use hraven, both for the bird itself and obviously as a given name. So can we guess that this character or his ancestors 
were originally from eastern Scandinavia, as opposed to the usual Norwegian origin of Iceland settlers. Igor, that sounds exactly right. Um, yeah. We, we've seen other name elements from eastern Scandinavia. Uh, probably the most common one so far has been the Finn element in names like Finnboy. Uh, and while Korper as a name for ravens does show up, I'm willing to be corrected on this, Andy, but I think it's mostly in poetry. Uh, while Kraka or Hrafin is more frequently used overall to refer to birds, to ravens. I would correct you if I knew anything about that. I think that's right. But um, I don't. So, so I think this sounds entirely Igor. plausible, and I'm buying it. Thank Good. you, Igor. Uh, and then last but not least, not really a nickname, but worth a mention is Colfin the Coalbiter, uh, who we called that throughout the saga, but who the saga never gets around to nicknaming. Our mm-hmm. author just makes him a man who literally sits at a fire and eats coal. Uh, a kind of literal manifestation of a traditional nickname. Uh, so he is the coal biter, even though he's never actually called that. Yeah. Uh, so, Andy, that is my desperate attempt to create a nickname <laughs> section. Uh, what do we think? Well, I think for the uh, the the number of nicknames you offer, mm-hmm. um, which is very few. Yes. I mean... <laughs> As much as I enjoyed that, and I did enjoy that, uh, there's a lot of stretching going on there. A little bit. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're really left with uh, Olaf the Fair, Boo the Dog. You, you jammed Kettle Flatnose in there. Helgi Bjolin, Skipper mm-hmm. Orn. And that's about it. That's, that's about that's, it, yeah. That's it. That is <laughs> piss poor. This, is a, this saga is about as slim as the pickings get. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't feel right giving it to Kettle Flatnose because it's... Oh, no. Neither do I. He's just mentioned, and yeah. uh, I don't, it doesn't make any sense. But, but uh, I, I mean, we've I given think, we've mm-hmm. given the, the the award to genealogical characters yes, before for uh, this we, category. One, th- one thinks of uh, uh, the open handed <laughs> but stingy with meat. Yeah, yeah. Have Dan, I think it was. Yes, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, uh, but I'm gonna nothing, I'm gonna nominate Helgi Bjolin. Uh, it is okay. an agnomen, right? Not a Can traditional. Can you remind nickname. me what the Bjolin means again? Uh, well, that's the the point is that it, what it means is a clan affiliation, right? It's the clan, uh, the Obiolan clan. I don't like uh, that as a nickname, though. Uh, well, but it's it's functioning as a nickname in Iceland, where they yeah. don't really have clan names, but they do have nicknames, and so he ends up with the clan name becoming his nickname. Well, since the only other real choices are Olaf the Fair and Boo the Dog, I'm going to mm-hmm. go with you, Helgi Bjolin. Slink up here and get this pity award. <laughs> Your shameful prize won by default. Yeah, I think he's achieved better things in his life. Yeah, I hope so. Oh, and since we're on the subject of names, John, uh-huh. we have a listener named Monica who's expecting a brand new baby boy this summer. Oh, yes. Congratulations, Monica. Yes, and she'd like some help picking out a strong Icelandic name because her her family, mm-hmm. uh, she has family in Iceland. Well, as the father of two sons, I can appreciate this dilemma. It's a great responsibility. Yeah, you chose uh, Murray and Steve for your boys, right? Nice masculine <laughs> names, Murray and no, Steve. No, no, I didn't. Uh, although I did grow up along Murray Street in Queens. Ah. Uh, good memories, but it's uh, it's not a name you hear much anymore. Well, I, I'd wager there are a few young Murrays out there somewhere. Mm-hmm. But uh, maybe Monica wants to start with that one, or perhaps Buck. That Buck. was what my uh, yeah, Buck. My father-in-law <laughs> wanted us to name uh, my first first two kids uh, Buck, but they Both turned out them. to be girls. So just Buck and Buck. Well, he missed on the first one, and he tried again on the I second, see. trying to I convince see. us. Yeah, I hope he wasn't serious. I don't think he was, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Yeah. <laughs> my brother tried really hard to name his first couple of kids Mookie after the Mets outfielder Mookie Wilson, it's, but again, two girls in a row. Isn't it Mookie? Uh, it's Mookie. No, it's Mookie. But no, go he ahead. says he says Mookie Wilson says Mookie. All right. Mookie. Good Lord. Uh, but <laughs> anyway, I, I think we can help Monica out if she's not sold on Mookie and Buck. <laughs> sure. Uh, if you're looking for strength and variety, Icelandic names are where it's at. I can't tell if you're being sarcastic about variety. There. <laughs> that's, a, that's good. We'll leave it that way. <laughs> All right. So in terms of variety, I think there are a lot of great names to choose from. Uh, mm-hmm. Thorolf comes to mind. It mm-hmm. means Thor's wolf, Monica. I challenge you to find me a cooler name than that. <laughs> uh, but if you're not into Thorolf, there's also Thorbjorn and Thorbrand and Thorfinn, mm-hmm. Thorgare, Thorgils, Thorgrim, uh-huh. Thorhall, Thorir, Thorkel, Thorlack, <laughs> Thorleaf, Thorod, but uh, I wouldn't choose that one. He'd be made fun of in school for his odd name. Eh, get it? Mm. I'm noticing a bit of a theme with the name you're coming up with. Are you? 
Yeah. yeah well, I mean, if she doesn't like any of those, there's always Thorstein, Thorvald, Thorvard, and Eric. <laughs> Eric. Where'd that yeah. come from? Well, it's a good name, but only if you spell it E-I-R-I-K. It's pretty mm. weak if you spell it any other way. Uh, you left out Thormod, Thorberg, Thori, Thormund, and Thorgist. Well, I mean, I didn't, I didn't want this to turn into a Monty Python sketch, but there we are. <laughs> uh, fair enough. Uh, I do think we should look for a few names outside the Thor Corps. The Thor Corps. That should be a that should be a, an elite unit. Uh, that is a that is a Marvel comic series. Oh, is it? Okay. Yes. Anyway, but I don't understand why she would want a, a, a non-Thor name. In, in pre-Christian Iceland, Thor was the root of roughly 25% of the names. Mm-hmm. And we talked about how he was a patron deity of Iceland in our special episode on Thor and highlighted all the reasons why he's the coolest and toughest of the Norse gods. Why shouldn't this child be given a Thor name, John? Well, I'm not necessarily advocating for a non-Thor name, although I should add that Thor names aren't as popular today as they were in the 10th century. Mm. I just want Monica to have some choice. Okay. What if the kid ends up in a situation where he's in a line organized alphabetically by first name? He's going to be stuck down at the end. Well, then you better not be suggesting Vaymond. <laughs> so what's what's on your Thor, your non-Thor list? Well, I thought we should have a look at some of the greats outside of the Thor list. So I nominate okay. Ale, Gisli, Grettir. Not that one. Rollo, Snorri, or Ulf, if he doesn't mind being at the end of the line. <laughs> uh, or Gunnar, which I actually really like as a name. Yeah. Uh, legitimately. Okay. I actually know a guy who named his kid Gunnar, and it's a great name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Monica, if you're looking for a god's name, I recommend Tur, the god of justice. Uh, but of course, there's also the entire family from Njal Saga. Uh, Njal, Skarpathen, Grim, Helgi, Hoskuld, and brother-in-law Kari. All great names. Can you imagine a kid in elementary school named Skarpathen? I think that'd be great. He'd be the boss. Oh, my goodness. Uh, oh, and if it turns out the doctor's wrong and you have a girl, which, you know, does happen, uh, I suggest Aud as a name. Hmm. Uh, or Helga, Asdis, Gudrun, or maybe Thora. Oh, or Esya. Oh, is a good name, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go, Monica. There's a few names for you to choose from. Now it's up to you to narrow the scope to a select few. And while these classic Icelandic names all make good candidates, might I also suggest Andrew as an option? Oh, I was waiting for that. I can't think of a stronger (laughs) name. It literally means manly. Yeah, I'm sure it did once. Uh, (laughs) You know, John is actually a name in the sagas, unlike Andy. (laughs) Oh, sure. Uh, Who cares? And whatever (laughs) name you choose... Please let us know when little Andrew Thorall Ferguson is born by <laughs> sending a picture to your favorite podcast hosts. Yeah, be sure to send us one, too. Notable Witticisms. Ah, uh, yes. Notable Witticisms is our award for the saga writer's art. The turns of phrase are witty bon mots that elevate the sagas. This is, uh, <laughs> this is not this saga's strong suit. <laughs> no. uh, I know I already said that about bloodshed, but facts are facts. And the fact here is that this saga's cupboard of wit is dusty and bare. It's, it's moh are barely bon. Uh, we've managed to scrape together a handful of candidates. Andy, uh, did you want to go first? Uh, well, like you said, the, not much to choose from here. But I reached deep into the barrel and scraped the bottom, hoping mm-hmm. something interesting might come up. I Don't oversell it, Andy. I mean, that, that kind of high praise might taint the listener's opinion. Well, then I'll pull uh, pull back a bit. Mm-hmm. So my first candidate is from Colfin Colbiter. Wait, Colfin? The guy yeah. who chases sticks? That's really right. Really widely celebrated for his wit, Andy. Truer words were never spoken. <laughs> Nevertheless, he's my first candidate. Uh-huh. When he announces to his mother Thorgerd that he plans to attack Bua so that, no, so that one fewer man can sit and chat with Olaf, she tells him, this idea of coming to blows with Bua is not promising in view of both as his sorcery and his toughness. But the stalwart Colfin is unmoved. In his typical stoic fashion, he says, There are two sides to every danger. I'll either live or die. I'm, I'm going to miss that voice. <laughs> Colfin's somnambulist voice really pleases me. Uh, so that's your first candidate, huh? Yeah. Uh, it's pithy, I grant you. Uh, but not so much witty as a simple and slightly yawning statement of fact. Yes, but you insisted I come up with two, so that's what you get. But uh, I do think you'll like my second one better. Is it uh, Olaf's silence? Perhaps the <laughs> grunting of the Blaumather. 
You'll just have to wait and see. Now, uh, what's your first candidate? I don't think it can possibly compete with Colfin's well, offering. I mean, well, my first one is a pretty straightforward statement, uh, just like yours. Uh, when Thorsten <laughs> Thordrimson attempts to catch Bua alone in an ambush, he's frustrated. Right? First, by Bua's unexpected expertise with a sling. Remember, mm-hmm. uh, Bua kills one of Thorsten's men and wounds several others before his enemies even get close to him. Ah, yes. Yeah, this is when we learn that Bua's pants can stay up even when he takes off the sling belt. I don't think that was the point of the scene, but yes. Uh, (laughs) So when he runs out of stones, Bua retreats, and a sudden black darkness makes it impossible for Thorsten to chase him. Thorsten realizes that the unnatural darkness is the doing of Essia the Witch, and grumbles, We have our hands full now, when we have to deal with both a dog and a troll. A dog and a troll. So that's that's your nominee. Well, I like the use of Bua's nickname here to dehumanize him. Uh-huh. Uh, also, it makes them sound like the stars of a children's book. A troll and her dog. <laughs> that's great. Well, <laughs> all right. My uh, second one involves uh, a little fella. You remember his name? Uh, King Dolfrey? Ah, oh, the king under the mountain. That's Foster right. Foster father of King Harold Fairhair. Mm-hmm. Master of the sacred Tuffleboard. Lenient father who is... Oddly comfortable with his daughter's sexual appetite for short-statured young human men. You mean that King Dolphrey? <laughs> That's the one. Yeah. You know, I was looking into King Dolphrey uh, mm-hmm. this morning, mm-hmm. and it it turns out he Dolphrey is the origin of the uh, in the Hall of the Mountain King. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, fantastic. So after a big, big build-up to Boo's first meeting with the Grand King Dolphrey, mm-hmm. we're finally shown King Dolphrey's hall. The description's quite vivid, giving us a sense of the room and its regal decorations. There's a bustling of servants, benches full of large people, tables laid out with abundant food and drinks, and a large, handsome man sitting on the high seat on the upper bench. He's got a huge white beard, and he strikes Boo as a venerable kind of character. A huge white beard being an important part of any handsome man's uh, attire. (laughs) Uh, But this is uh, King Dolfrey, of course. Indeed. And Boo approaches the king and says... Greetings, King Dolphrey, to you and your happy court. Right, now there's a there's an air of formality to everything that Bua does here. He's been dressed yeah. up all fancy by Frith to make a good impression, uh, presumably in some doll clothes she had laying around. <laughs> uh, and she's been talking him up so that her father will receive him well. Exactly. Only instead of a formal courtly reply, King Dolphrey turns to his daughter and says, Is this the bearded baby you told me about yesterday? <laughs> John, honestly, I think this whole sequence from the moment that Boo arrives at the Mountain Hall mm-hmm. to this disinterested and humorous greeting from the king is perfectly written. I mean, however you might feel about the saga as a whole, the travel section is well executed from start to finish. And I think King Dolphrey is worthy of a prize here. But you may have one other candidate worth considering before we crown Dolphrey as witty champion of this saga. Mm-hmm. Well, I do I do think we need to say that um, although Dolphrey's amused contempt makes the line— it's really mm-hmm. a joint nomination because he's repeating what his daughter Frith told him the day before. That's right. Yeah. Uh, she's the one who presents them as a bearded baby. Uh, but my last nominee is another example of Frith's somewhat dry wit. Andy, do you remember the circumstances on the day that Bua told Frith that he intended to get the game board from Dolphrey and return to the world of men? Oh, yeah. Yeah. She had just told him that she was pregnant with his child. Exactly. <laughs> it was a slightly awkward moment and Bua made it far worse by pretending not to hear her tell him that there was a half-giant <laughs> bun in the oven. Yeah, it's not the response she was looking for. I mean, actually, it's not a response at all. <laughs> right. Uh, and so Frith agrees somewhat coolly to help Bua talk to her father, mm-hmm. because, as she says, I would certainly be sorry to see you killed, even if you deserved it. That's <laughs> a good line at that moment. Uh, it's one yeah. of the times that I really like this author. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Uh, do you have a favorite? I, I I would really like to give this one to Dolphrey, but yeah, uh, th- maybe you have a... I think it comes down to either one of these uh, lines from the Giants are yeah. the, clearly our best moments. Uh, I, I could definitely see. I mean, the, I think the joint award to Frith and Dolphrey for sure. uh, the bearded baby. Uh, I mean, what a way of cutting Bua off at the knees. Absolutely. I mean, she sets him up to, again, for this, as you said, this formal moment, this very friendly, um, but... But stylish moment for where, where he walks in all dressed to the nines and presents himself as a visiting dignitary, right. and for his response to be, "Is this the bearded baby?" 
it's just fantastic. I mean, it's the it's the only moment I can remember laughing in the saga. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I I'm I'm happy to give it to Dolvery yep. and Frith. I think so. I think so. All right. Uh, so I think uh, half an award for each of them, and sure. uh, a little baby rattle for Bua. They can hold it in their giant hands. <laughs> Outlawry. All right, Outlawry. Uh, as always, this is our opportunity to remove a particularly scurrilous figure from the saga and from Iceland forever. Yes. Uh, by policy, uh, once we've outlawed somebody from one of these sagas, they are not available for Thingmen in this or any other saga. So it's a heavy responsibility that we carry. That's right. And uh, this one's weird because mm-hmm. there's only, as I can see it, only two candidates that we can really consider. Oh, I see three. Uh, are you going to really try to... But that suggests I, that we're... I know you teased, uh-huh. Bua, but you're not really going to try that, are you? Oh, I think so. Uh, but I'll, first I'll nominate uh, somebody who I'm assuming is on your list, uh, Colfin uh-huh. the Coalbiter. Absolutely, yes. Uh, I think there's probably not a strong case to be made here. But really? Colfin, uh, he does uh, kill multiple people. He attempts multiple ambushes. Yes. Uh, he does all this in the name of love. Uh, uh, <laughs> or at least in the name of uh, desire. Uh, so I think those things are, at least in the context of a romantic saga, would be quite forgivable. But he also abducts Olaf the Fair yeah. uh, without her consent and without her father's consent. Uh, and that is at least a clearly criminal act. And uh, I, I would add there, Colfin rape, he rapes her. Yes, yes. There's definitely sexual assault. So, uh, so he's absolutely he's a he's a he's not a nice man. I'm not sure why we're even going to have a discussion <laughs> about uh, this. Well, I mean, unfortunately, and this is you know this is one of the things about the saga that makes it a little uncomfortable as a modern read. This is not the only person who abducts Olaf and and uh, takes her away against her father's wishes and keeps her. Uh, so we'll get to that, but mm. uh, for right now, yes. Uh, so that's Colfin's major crime is. The abduction and assault of Olaf. Yeah. Well, um, I, I was going to throw in there uh, Thorsten. Um, Thorsten is worth considering because of his kind of a, abusive relationship with uh, with Bua. Uh, remember, he uh-huh. he basically targets Bua very early on, has him outlawed, uh-huh. attacks him. The problem with Thorsten as a candidate, and the reason I don't think we can outlaw him, is that Mm -hmm. while he may abuse his authority as the son of Thorgrim Gothi, he's within the law, both in his prosecution of Bua and the subsequent attack once Bua becomes an outlaw. So I don't think we can outlaw him, which which means for me the obvious choice is Colfin. Well, all right, Andy, but hang on, Mm -hmm. Uh, because there is a third candidate, and I think it's one that we should take very, very seriously, Uh, and that's... um, I can't say the eponymous figure because this is a theoretically a settlement saga, but certainly well, actually, our major figure, Bua. Yeah, I was looking into this saga a little bit more, and in mm-hmm. other manuscript yep. editions, yeah, it is. It, it actually is called the the saga of uh, yep. Bua Andersen. Yep. So, but the edition we're using doesn't use that title. That's right. Uh, but all right, so let's dig into why Bua is the obvious choice to be outlawed in this saga. Okay. Uh, first of all, I'm just going to come right out and accuse him of murder. Uh, huh. Not killing, murder. His killing of Thorsten is done in secret. The body is not cared for. And he sets fire to the temple afterward to cover his tracks. Uh, that's not great. Uh, I don't that think he's is, covering his tracks, John. Well, he, okay, well, I, I'm that's, interrupt you here. You're, 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 you're pilfering with the truth here. The question is whether or not it's a murder. You can, you can complain about my, my terminology, but does he or does, does he not does, commit a murder by the laws of Iceland? Uh, by the laws of America, he does, but by the laws of Iceland, no, because he announces the killing. Uh, he no, he had, the requirements are that he uh, he assaults the man without warning him from behind. Yes, and he does not care for the body. Caring for the body is also one of the ways you have to avoid a murder charge. You know, I looked into the Icelandic on this one. I, mm-hmm. I read this chapter uh, in the original, and mm-hmm. the the. I don't know Icelandic well enough to to truly translate it properly, but when he disposes of the body, it says he threw him under garden, mm-hmm. um, which means the, the the word under the preposition under under, uh, as far as I know, means under something, um, under the fence, under under the wall, under something. But it's translated as against the wall in our in our translation. Yeah, I think it means below the wall. 
Under as yeah. below, not under as in buried. He does not bury I, it because the body is still clearly visible when the rest of the people come to put out the fire. Uh, it's not. It's not said either way. What? What? Because the body's there. That, that's yes. kind of the thing I think is important. No, given, it's there given, and it's quite. It's easily visible. In other words, he's done nothing exactly. to protect it from the elements or from animals. And his responsibility as the killer. John, he sets fire to the temple. People are coming. Yes. Well, <laughs> that's is, and so my second point, by the way, is that he uh-huh. sets fire to the temple. <laughs> okay, I, I still think uh, it's a now by a my count murder by law, but, it's, but it ahead. is a murder. But by my count, this is the fourth destruction of a place of worship we've seen in our sagas, and in some ways, this is the worst because there's just uh-huh. no reason for it. Um, mm, I don't know about that. It, this is just spite. Um, third, he abducts Olaf the Fair. Um, now, you made the argument when we were talking about the saga that they were not married; they were merely betrothed. In which case. What he does to her that winter is also assault. Uh, he impregnates her and abandons her. So uh, this poor woman, I mean, it's just she's treated awfully in this saga. And I think it's its creating a false distinction between the acts of Bua and the acts of Colfin to say that she is not um, uh, treated poorly by Bua. Um uh, he returns her to her father later on because she was sexually assaulted by Colfin while he, Bua, was off in Norway playing the bearded baby with Frith the Giantess. <laughs> it's kinky. Uh, well, uh, so there's also, I mean, just the the sheer hypocrisy of that. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, and then he violates the implied agreement with Frith, refusing to acknowledge his paternity of their son, Yokel, which forces Yokel to wrestle him to the death. And he curses his own son as he dies. Yeah. Uh, and finally, he's the only person in the saga who actually is outlawed by his own chieftain, nevertheless. Uh, the dude's got to go. And well, I, I think, I mean, all of that sounds really terrible. And to be honest, yes, some, <laughs> because some it of is. it is. But I think, you know, this being a, a, a podcast that looks at the Icelandic sagas, which mm-hmm. takes legal matters and their context very Seriously, yes. We should think about the context. So let's start with the killing of Thorsten. Now I'm gonna—I'll admit that the manner of the attack is suspect. He sneaks mm-hmm. up on Thorsten in prayer yes. and kills him. Yes. But I have two things to say about this. First, Thorsten started it. Bua was only 12 when he was targeted <laughs> with a frivolous lawsuit by Thorsten and Thorgrim. After being outlawed for no good reason, he's then ambushed by a group of 12 men. I'm sorry. Uh, so what you're arguing is that that the Gragas says very clearly that. All the other rules for killings are off the table if he started it. <laughs> Look, I think it's very, very clear. If he doesn't take out Thorsten, mm-hmm. then he's done for. And Essia makes okay. that very, very clear. You need sure. to go get this guy. Second, if you're so against sneaky killings, then you'll need to take a long, hard look at your group of Thingmen, John. I'm not even going to mention Snorri Gothi's underhanded tactics. And Excuse we don't me. need to look. Excuse me. What? It's it's far too late to put any of those people on trial and outlaw them. We don't need to look back very far at all. Ref the Sly is a crafty character who wasn't above using the element of surprise on his enemies. Absolutely. He kills but we Thorbjorn had other in, in his that bed. Sa- it, but in that saga, as in the others that you're trying to bring up, uh-huh. we had other people who were more clearly deserving of outlawry. Uh-huh. Who is more clearly in this saga deserving of outlawry than Bua? I'm going to go with a rapist. Uh, how about uh, again? The- I would make the argument that the distinction between Colfin and uh, Bua is not as clear as you would make it. Uh, we'll, their, we'll see. their treatment of Olaf is pretty grim and is pretty indefensible on both sides. Well, I'm not going to disagree with that in general terms, but let's go to the burning of the temple. Mm-hmm. This is the crime for which both Thorgrim and King Harold are most offended, right? It's an affront to their gods. But can we really blame Bua for being hostile to them? He was baptized as a child, doesn't participate in Norse worship services and sacrifices. Mm -hmm. And because of this, he's outlawed at the age of 12 and attacked. He's a victim here, John. And I'm sorry, Uh if burning the temple seems extreme, I want you to remember that Bua is 12 years old when he does it. He's lashing out (laughs) at the (laughs) ultimate source of his problems. Uh I don't condone this little temper tantrum that he has, but I understand it. And so what your about argument he, now is that he cannot be tried as an adult? <laughs> no, I believe, well, no, in fact, I think, the 12 is yeah. the age at which Icelanders could be tried as adults. Yes, exactly. I'm not arguing that he's, you know. Which I think is Iceland significant culture. on the part of the author, that he does explicitly state that Bua is of age when yeah. he does this. Yeah. Uh, what about the abduction of Olaf? Now, this one looks bad. Um, but I, I said before that I it believe. It is bad. 
I believe Olaf is complicit in this one. Olaf isn't given a voice in this saga, so it's hard to say what she thought either way. But when she yes. does speak, there's never a sign that she dislikes Bua. When he suggests that there's they run off together... There's never a sign that she likes him either. Really, listen to this. When he suggests they run off together, all she says is that it will displease her father. Mm-hmm. Obviously it would. She's concerned about her father's opinion, but she doesn't say she's against it. But that's a pretty when typical Colton- response from Olaf who generally defers to whoever has sort of legal uh, control over her at that point. But when Colfin arrives at the cave to call Bua out, Olaf mm-hmm. pleads with Bua not to go outside in fear of his safety. When Essia gives him mm-hmm. a migraine to keep him inside, Olaf asks him what is wrong, like a caring partner. Mm-hmm. And when he can't go out to fight, Olaf says, that's a good thing. Uh-huh. She hardly sounds like the unwilling victim in this case. I, and there are plenty of cases, John, sure. throughout the sagas that we've read already of women eloping with men that their fathers don't want to welcome into the family. And I think you Absolutely. know most of those abductions are are not one-sided affairs, and they often end happy. I am not convinced. Um, I think that in this case, as in other cases in the sagas, what we see is a woman who's making the best of a bad situation. That's uh, that her possible. options here are either to be a victim or to be... Um, partnered with the man who has abducted her and she chooses the position that will give her the greater social standing uh, that does not excuse what Bua has done uh, at no point does Olaf actively acquiesce to the abduction or to the elopement so I don't think we can call it an elopement uh, and you're skipping over the part later on where he then abandons her after another man abducts her now the the abandonment of Olaf is the worst thing in my opinion and it's mm-hmm. it's pretty unforgivable Especially given Bua's affair with Frith in Norway. I, I don't have much of a defense for him. I, I, from the modern viewpoint, this is indefensible. Right. So, I mean, this is clearly, I, can, I mean, this is the double standard for sexuality between men and women in this culture, yeah, right? Yeah. All I can say, I guess, is that Olaf is treated as an object before, during, and after her experience mm-hmm. with Bua. Yeah. Um, I, I'm deeply disturbed by his claim that he can no longer love her, but I would mm-hmm. point out that medieval Icelanders might have sympathized with Bua's actions far more than we can. Uh, fortunately, I would say we've come a long way since then. I wonder if that's actually true. I mean, I, I think that in this saga, what we see is a figure who becomes less sympathetic as the saga goes on. I agree. I think that by the time we get to his abandonment of Olaf and then his refusal to acknowledge Jokel, he has ceased to be a sympathetic figure. Uh, his behavior mm-hmm. becomes more and more indefensible, to use your mm-hmm. term. Um, and by the time we get to him abandoning his fiance or wife, or whatever you want to call her, uh, and his refusal to acknowledge his natural son, uh, we've, we now have a figure whose behavior is criminal, or at least is um, morally objectionable. Uh, I mean, by the end, his character is extremely problematic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm not gonna argue. I, I did say also he is outlawed. Um, but again, outlawed for uh, the, the conditions of his outlawry are are pretty ridiculous. He so doesn't participate saying, in sacrifices. Mm-hmm. You're giving uh, Thorsten so, and Thorgrim a lot of credit there for something that I think is presented in in, in a way that makes it seem somewhat superficial. Mm-hmm. So, John, as much as I understand where Bua is coming from for most of those crimes, there are a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but again, I, I don't think I think the early ones are forgivable. It's the it's the it's the overall attitude that he has. Uh-huh. Um, it's the abandonment of Olaf and then the refusal to acknowledge his son, wrestling him to the de- <laughs> to the mm-hmm. death and cursing him. Remember, like and laying, cursing him as like he goes, a formal yeah. curse on him as he dies. Yeah, and I think you're right. One of the things I want to talk about a little bit later is is how as the saga progresses, we take a character who we were initially sympathetic with, yeah. and he becomes worse and worse. Yeah. Um, I, by the end, I don't think we're supposed to sympathize with this character. We're mm-hmm. supposed to see him as a problematic character. Yeah. Um, and for that reason, I think it's it's okay to outlaw him, despite Colfin's perhaps more deserving, uh, more more heinous <laughs> crime. I again, I, yeah, I think you and I disagree as to the severity of what Bua does. But yes, I think you know by the end of this saga, it's not Colfin who's meant to elicit our sort of moral revol- revulsion. It's yeah. Bua. Yeah. Although that does complicate the Thingman section. Well, it does slightly, but uh, that's a problem to deal with in the next uh, category. Well, all right. Thingman. Now is the time for us to review the saga's best and brightest before we each select one to join our impressive group of Thingmen. 
And since we've somehow outlawed the saga's pseudo-protagonist, I guess we'll say, <laughs> uh, the pickings are very slim. Yeah. Well, first of all, I think we've established that calling Bua a protagonist may not be exactly appropriate. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, that's that's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and second, I don't think the pickings are all that slim. They're underweight, I admit. They're, they're, they're bantam, uh, but they're not slim. <laughs> Well, we'll see. Uh, so uh, you went first when we did rep the slide, so I'll be going first this time around. Not so fast there, buddy. What? You picked ref, remember? I do. That was a really great selection, by the way. I liked it. And I picked guest Oldlifson, great goalie of Barthasron, respected sage, man who could foresee many things and was friend to all. Yeah, look at you. Laying it on thick. Those were the picks, yes. Exactly. And as we both know, whoever goes first after the sacred coin toss will always choose his Thingman second on the next saga. And here we are. Oh, yeah. I'm aware of the rules. As you well know, I would be going second uh, if you had stuck with your first pick in Ref the Sly. Oh, Helga? Yeah. You think I was serious about that? Yes. <laughs> no, 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 no. I wanted guests the whole time. I was just doing a bit for the <laughs> really? listeners. Really? Which uh, is really is true. That is not how I remember it. Uh, as uh. I recall, you... Discovered guest as we were picking Thingman. No, that's not even fair. After you had already selected Helga, hmm. after I directed you to reread the beginning of the saga, where it was made clear which guest we were talking about. And that is when you made the shameless and unprecedented offer to let me pick first again in Kalnasinga Saga if I allowed you to toss Helga back in favor of guest. Toss Helga back. That's a bit harsh, but but you're not going <laughs> to hold me to that silly little agreement and throw off the pattern, this this established pattern mm. of Thingman picks that we followed for so long now, are you? Oh, yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> In oh. fact. Well, that uh, complicates Andy, things. Can I just say, I'm delighted that you chose to give away the store last time to undo what you saw as a mistake. Hmm. Um, now, look. I know that you you it was not without some regret that you saw Bua go. I, I'm glad that you eventually came around on that. But just imagine how I felt. I'm picking first, <laughs> and now I've got to pick from what's left in this saga. Yeah, uh, I still voted to outlaw him, and I pushed to outlaw him because I am a gothi of integrity. Uh, but there's no denying that this isn't a saga with a deep thingman bench. Uh, Bua doesn't really have any friends. Uh, his only no. travel companion is an anonymous horse holder. Right. Uh, Yokel is a possibility, but he only yeah. shows up in the final chapter and he kills his own father. It's not and a great he's, track also, he's also a Norwegian. He's not really an Icelander. He's also a Norwegian half giant, not, a, not an Icelander. And in any yeah. case, Patricide isn't a good look for one of my Thingmen. So <laughs> no, definitely not. Uh, I regard Raoul the Farmer as out of bounds as well because he's Norwegian. Uh, Helgi and Vak Arndrumsen. Uh, great merchants. Well. <laughs> right, great names. Uh, and Vak does become a Gothi. Uh but they and Colfin, uh, Colbiter aren't very impressive figures within the saga. No. Uh, although Colfin's clothing sense would be good for some laughs in the hall. That's right. Uh, <laughs> now, Thordrum the Gothi is viable. Yeah. But he's a, he's a lesser figure in this saga. Extremely lesser. His main role is to introduce religious intolerance into a previously happy community. I have no use for that kind of nonsense on my team. Religious intolerance has no place in John's thing hall. Uh, as I look at my hall, Andy, I see warriors, chieftains, loyal friends, and able lawyers. But one thing I don't have on my team is a master, or rather mistress, oh, no. of the mystical arts. A witchy woman, if you will, <laughs> whose tender ministrations and powerful magics will protect me and my team. A wise woman whose foresight will set us on the right path. And a caring woman whose sure guidance of the youth of today will ensure a solid foundation for my hall of the future. Oh, Essa of Essieberg, witch of the mountain, I'm thrilled to invite you to a place among my thingmen. Welcome to the team. Did we ever firmly establish that she's a witch? I mean, well, she never really does you seem anything. pretty clear about it. I know I said that she's a witch, but that was just for fun. All she does is make a dark cloud one day, um, which can she, easily be accomplished she by protects, burning she protects garbage. She protects Bua's body from blows. 
by with a, with a running her hands shirt. over every bone in his body. I think it's really the magic shirt he's wearing. That does, well, which she also work. provides. Yeah, she uh, she just she just stroked his body, saying this right. this will work, and then and then right. and this and is totally necessary. Like, <laughs> right, and then she was like, "Please just, put on this shirt just lay of, back. of mail. It's mythical. This is all extremely necessary." Yeah, that's right. It's so weird. Okay. So you've got a, a garbage burning trickster Hell yes. in your in your group. I'm that's not, what I like. I, I didn't see anything supernatural. That's right. I have the Witch of the Mountain. All right. Well, I, mean, I dare you to top that. I wish that Frith had been available because I would definitely take her. <laughs> well, if Frith were available, she wouldn't be because I would have taken her. Exactly. Well, then I would. I would. If you took Frith, I would take King Dolfrey, and then we'd Fair be enough. all good. Also all not right. available. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I, I'm actually. I'm okay with you taking Essia. I was interested Good. in her, but when I think about her her actual abilities, I don't see confirmation that she's capable of anything more than handing someone a coat of mail. Well, I hope you continue to believe that until your men utterly fail to provide injury to mine during a battle. We'll just wear damp cloths over our <laughs> mouths to uh, hide the garbage smell. Um, no, I'm uh, I'm very pleased that this worked out the way it did because uh, sure I got a powerful go the last time, and uh, this time I'm going to do the same thing. I, I, Thorgrim, I can tell us where you were going with this. Of course. Thorgrim the Gothi, son of Helgi Bjolan. Oh, boy. Son of Ketoflatnos. Religiously intolerant bigot. He takes his job seriously, and it was really Thorsten who was doing the, the pressing there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thorgrim is an the impressive Gothi. The apple does not fall far from the tree, Andy. Ah, well, Thor, I, I think you, I, I'm, I'm not surprised you'd say that. Uh, Thorgrim Gothi takes his job seriously. He's mm-hmm. well respected. He is powerful, mm-hmm. wields a lot of influence, sure. guides the uh, the cruel and weird Bua to a more respectable behavior near the end of the saga, <laughs> uh, lives a nice long life, and uh, I'm really proud to have yet another Gothi in my, in my group of Thingmen. Welcome I... aboard, Thorgrim Gothi. Uh, so you're going to throw a straight face and tell me that if Essia hadn't been available, you wouldn't have taken her. I don't know. <laughs> I, I was I was very intrigued by Thorgrim as a as a possibility. I was going to uh, take Essia as more of a gimmick, and I gimmick. really thought you would. Yeah, uh, and I thought you would take Thorgrim as your as your dude. Nah, because of the power that he I, wields. Yeah, I think uh, I'd rather have I'd rather have a witch at my back. Thank you. But again, I don't know if she's a witch. A religiously tolerant witch, by the way. <laughs> is she? <laughs> All right. All right. Well, congratulations to Essia and Thorgrim. I think uh, we both did reasonably well here uh, with me doing slightly better. <laughs> Enjoy the stench of your hall, John. All right. Can we get you to keep throwing out lines or we eventually move on to final ratings? <laughs> She's not a witch. She's not a witch. She's, not, She's a witch. not a witch. She's not a witch. I think what you need to do is get Essia and put her on a scale with a duck. And then we'll know for sure. Oh, see, and if she weighs the same as a duck, then she's oh, made of wood. That's correct. Excellent. So, I like right. the way you think. Final, Final rating. rating. All right. Now that we've established our judgments for this saga, uh, it's time to wrap up the enchilada with final ratings. Hmm. Andy, I went first for Thingman and did very well for myself. So I believe the honor is yours. What'd you think? Well, first, uh, I'm going to apologize in advance because this is going to take me a little time to get through. I have a lot to say about this one. So if you need to walk away for a moment, use the restroom, feel free. So had I been asked to rate this saga after my initial reading of it, I would have focused my critique on how derivative each set piece in the saga was. If you're looking for something original and new, this is not a great saga. I mean, almost everything we encountered here was something we've seen in another saga or tale. And when we started talking about this, we were both struck by how quickly the saga seemed to shift genres, leaving many loose ends. And then there's the whole harsh indifference with which the author seems to treat Olaf. And that that all complicated my reading. Um, I think Bua's rejection of Olaf, his claim that he can no longer love her, put both of us off and tainted our opinion of the saga. So it would have gotten a, a rather low score. But the more we talked about the saga and tried to tease out what the author might have been up to, the more I started to see the brushstrokes of an artist at work. This guy's no Rembrandt, Hmm. but he paints more vivid (laughs) pictures, both in scene and description and character development, uh, than, than many other saga writers. And I also think he does a decent job of providing us with complex characters and situations that provoke strong reactions. Bua's youth is a complicating factor for me. Bua's upbringing and religious indifference are as well. The rather insensitive treatment of Olaf as an object, 
and her subsequent abandonment are frustrating. Olaf's abduction by both Bua and Kolfin are acts of aggression that have less to do with Olaf as a person and more to do with these men trying to prove their power over each other. Indeed, right. Bua's treatment of, of women and family in general is, is really frustrating. He doesn't seem to care that his father is killed by Thorgrim, his mother is an afterthought, and he has no problem sleeping with a giantess and then abandoning her after learning that she's pregnant. And when confronted with the children of his affairs, Boo is completely indifferent. And in the end, his troll-like behavior comes back to destroy him when he is mm. eventually killed by a son who he's rejected. Boo is definitely a problematic character whose behavior, pride, and rough treatment of others gets us thinking about what is right and how things could be handled differently. So mm. I don't think we've encountered something like this, this kind of complexity, this kind of character since Greta's saga. And what, what separates Boo from other outlaws Greta included, is that Bua doesn't get a heroic death and he seems to stand for nothing. Mm. You know, he represents nothing but himself, his own interests. It's almost as if the author decided to turn saga writing on its head and tell a story from the bad guy's perspective. And for me, that's kind of interesting. <laughs> and the, the way that he kind of gets us to sympathize with Bua, at least in my opinion, from the beginning and then slowly turn us against him, as you said, um, is, is pretty brilliant. And I, I haven't even talked about the use of parallel construction. The fact that Boo is defeated when Frith uses magic to protect her son, just as Boo has always wiggled his way out of dangerous situations with Esh's aid, that's uh, that's also brilliant. And there's more, but uh, I don't want to go on too long. I'm going to stop here and say that I've enjoyed this saga enough to begin writing about it. There's plenty more to say. Mm. And Kjolnasinga saga is one of those good post-classical sagas because of how it plays with genre and our expectations uh. in interesting ways. And for that reason... I like these post-classical sagas. I'm giving this one a seven. Mm -hmm. It's worth reading, wow. especially in context. Wow. That's a, that's a big number, seven. Yeah. Uh, I talk myself into right. these, you know? Well, I understand. Yeah. I know. you often. I think you often talk yourself into these things while you're uh, working out your final rating. I do. Uh, well, I agree with much of what you said, especially about Bua's character. So I won't need to go on too long. Not that that's ever stopped me before. Uh, I think, first of all, as we said earlier, this is the first saga that's really suffered under our judgment system. It's got some strangeness and some charm to it, and possibly some other flavors of quarks. But the things that it does well, like riff on Celtic and Scandinavian legends and play with ironic parallels, those don't necessarily get shown off to best advantage in our categories. Mm -hmm. I hope we help people to see some of those qualities in the actual discussion of the saga, because I do think this is a saga of some value. Those parallels, I mean, for example... Bua behaving with an arrogant and dominant masculinity and claiming Olaf for his own, and then having to enter a giant's realm where he's called a little bearded baby by a giantess who uses him as a sexual plaything for the winter. Yeah. That's great. Uh, I mean, so talk about, you know, sort of demonstrating and then exposing the fragility of kind of masculine dominance right. in the culture. Uh, or uh, Colfin and Bua both acting in tandem to win Olaf as you said, right, as a kind of prize between them. because And they act only because of the abuse of their maternal figures. Mm -hmm. right? And then, in this clash, they clash over a woman. Neither one of them was willing to act to win until their moms started razzing them over it. <laughs> this is an author, I think, with a keen sense of play in his writing. Uh, but I, there are some real problems here as well. I honestly don't know how deliberate some of the parallels are. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to think that the author wouldn't see the irony of Bua going stone-faced and furious over Olaf passively being abducted by Colfin when he took advantage of that same passivity to do exactly the same thing three years earlier. Uh, but I'm not sure, right? just as I'm not sure about what the author's aims are in evoking that hagiographic moment of Thorstein's brains being dashed out in the temple. Uh, the saga is just shaggy enough that I don't fully trust it, what it's doing. Mm. Uh, there are a number of oddly stilted moments in this story and also some problems with characterization. Uh, I, mean, I think almost no one in this saga except Colfin and maybe Frith are all that memorable as characters. Bua is frankly a bit of a cipher and I think that may be deliberate. As you said, we move from assuming he's the protagonist to thinking of him as a problematic figure. Uh, but I feel like that that comes at the cost of coming to understand him as a person. Uh, ultimately, this is one of those sagas that are worth a read, but I think shouldn't be near the top of your list. I would give it a 5.5. 5. Hmm. That's, I think this is one of the first ones where we've, uh, 
we've differed yep. that much uh, for, in, in think, a long time. I think this is probably, I think that's true. I think this is one of the sagas where you and I just, uh, you know, we we found different things here, which is great. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, uh, for me, I see a lot of intentionality here. I see some crafting. Um, and, mm-hmm. and, and for that, I, I, I'm rewarding it as a, as a, as a work of literature um, that's, yep. that's worthy of, a, of some attention. Yeah. And it, it hasn't gotten uh, attention in the past. And so now's the time. That's true. That's true. And I think it's absolutely worth reading. I mean, it's a, you know, it's definitely one to read. It's just, you know, it's not one of the ones that I would say, you know, if I were doing a course on the sagas, as I occasionally do, right. uh, this is not one of the ones that I'd include. I don't think I would include uh, it either. I would, what I would end up doing is I, I would want to end the class with uh, a post-classical saga. And this could be yeah. a good candidate, but it doesn't have to be the candidate. But what, what you want to get Usually, across is that post-classical sagas um, are moving beyond the standard forms and starting to play yes. with them in some interesting right. ways. And that's what I this actually, one does. I actually usually use Banda Manasaga for exactly that. Yeah. But okay, so that's a 7 from Andy, a 5.5 from me for a total of 12.5. Not too bad. Uh, which I think is, is right around our middle point for the sagas. Yeah. Um, now, next time, Andy, we're going to be looking at uh, a saga, another one of these sort of settlement era sagas, Floamana Saga. Ah, Floamana Saga. Uh, uh, which has got a lot a of rip-roaring uh, adventure. interesting and strange things. Oh, yes. Mm. Uh, but before that, uh, there's going to be... Uh, a saga short coming up soon, mm-hmm. uh, where we follow the story of Kjalnasinga saga through to the thotter of Jokul, the son of Bua, uh, from the exact moment at which he abandons his father's body That's right. and leaves Iceland in shame. And that one is a lot of fun. Please uh, check that <laughs> one out. You're going to enjoy it. And after the short, we also have a saga brief coming up uh, with an interview that we did a while back that we wanted to get up for you guys. Uh, with Patricia Gonzalez and Stephen Fox, uh, archery experts who are consultants on the TV show Arrow and who specialize in historical archery and in the production of uh, bows and arrows from different periods in history. It's a great conversation, uh, and that's going to be coming up this summer as well. And then we move on to Flow Manasaga. Uh, so, uh, Andy, anything else you wanted to add? Yeah, I want to uh, extend a special thanks to uh, Matt Smith, who's been working with us on the, uh, mm. the drawings for these episodes. Yeah, they're awesome. Yeah, they're good. Uh, so I'm very pleased about the uh, the drawing for the second episode for Kalmasinga Saga. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to seeing all the cool work that he does uh, going forward with each of these saga episodes. And I think he'll maybe occasionally step in for some of the uh, saga shorts as well. Excellent. All right. All right. Well, uh, thanks very much for listening. Uh, Andy, good luck with your travels. Thank you very much. If you want to get in touch uh, with us or maybe I'll share mm-hmm. some of the things that I'm doing out there in the uh, great wide world, uh, you can check out the Saga Thing podcast on on Facebook, uh, Saga Thing Pod on Twitter, or get in touch with us on email at sagathingpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can write us a letter by regular snail mail. But of course, by the time it gets here, we'll both be off on our travels. And so we won't get it until sometime in July anyway. Uh, which is probably when you're listening to this, since uh, we're going to have to do the editing and everything after we return. That's a lot of information. All right, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> On that high note, I think we'll uh, we'll sign off. And I will make my All way right. over to England. And John will wait Excellent. two weeks to head off to Wisconsin. That's right. Safe travels. All right. Thanks very much for listening. Bye for now. That was just to taunt you. I know it was.